This podcast is for investment professionals only. Hello and welcome to the May recording of Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and you join me at the cafe within the Church of St. Mary Older Mary, just down the lane from Fidelity's offices in the City of London. A great place to reflect on this month's episode, which we've just recorded. And what a programme we have in store. A discussion on the dangers ahead for central banks, why Italy is everyone's hot potato, and one guest describes this month's asset allocation meeting as an historic moment. Listen on to find out why. Joining me this week in the studio are three of the multi-asset team who've been busy reassessing, recalibrating and, yes, reallocating. They are markets analyst Charlotte Harrington, a whiz at decoding financial data, but someone who can't... Use Netflix. That's pretty important in the 21st century. Well, also portfolio manager Matt Quaife, who knows his Delta One from his dynamic tail, but who can't... Cut the fingernails of my son, who's... 20 months old. I don't blame you. And our Chief Investment Officer of Multi-Asset, James Bateman, an expert at judging markets, but hopeless at horse riding despite living in Newmarket. I'm perhaps born 100 years too late, James. But um, <laughs> A big level of that question. Anyway, thank you all for joining me. Um, James, we'll start with you. The allocation has changed this month. Tell us how. It has in, in what almost feels a historic moment. We have uh, taken our equity position down to neutral. From overweight down to neutral. Why is that? So so basically, I mean, I have to be given the fact there was a, a great disparity of views on equities and, and some people wanted to remain overweight, some wanted to be underweight, some wanted to be neutral. Um, and the real reason we've we've moved to neutral from overweight is that view that, that the data has deteriorated, um, the leading indicators deteriorated. That suggests to us that, that the market might start pricing in some downside or more downside. Um, and, you know, we're moving into the, the quieter summer season and, you know, the, the adage goes sell in May. And in reality, therefore, why, why, why would you keep an overweight? I think the important point to us, though, is this is not necessarily a move to neutral that then is a progression to underweight. This might be a move to neutral where we buy on weakness um, and, and move back to overweight later in the year. So a bit of a holding pattern for now. Exactly. Um, very, very briefly, let's bring in the, um, uh, the other two in the room as well. Um, Matt, you're a portfolio manager. Um, it, it, was, it wasn't a unanimous vote, as we, um, as we heard. Um, did you agree? Uh, I did. Um, I, I, I am uh, going neutral in my accounts. Um, the way that I think about it is uh, when you look at um, our models, um, the sentiment indicator is neutral, the momentum indicator is neutral, and the growth and in inflation portion of what we look at is actually now negative. Now, going neutral for me is overriding those, um, playing to the point that James made earlier, which is um, we don't necessarily think inflation is going to get away from us or growth is going to weaken too much. Um, so it's really about what data comes next as to where we go. It's all about the data. Charlotte, did you agree? Yeah, I think neutral makes sense now. I mean, I suppose I'm a little bit more uh, cautious than, than Matt and James and, and we'll be looking for indicators to actually to move underweight. And I think the slowing growth picture that, that we saw coming into the start of this year and that has continued and looks to me as if it's going to keep continuing is going to eventually see us move further underweight. Okay, well, 
Why don't we take a closer look then at one of the most important indicators that um, uh, you were talking about this month, the um, Fidelity's leading indicator, the fly. It's uh, taken an increasingly central role in recent meetings of the Asset Allocation Group. It's a proprietary synthesis of global economic data, and it's ticked down quite dramatically. Earlier, I caught up with research analyst Ian Sampson in one of the refectories here at Fidelity's London office for his reading. So it's got more interesting, perhaps not in the way we would have liked so uh, at the March data round, we saw some, some signs of slowing, some signs of taking down in, in some of the indicators, but, but the, the fly basically dismissed that as noise. Whereas in the latest reading for April, um, just the, the broad-based nature of slowing and you know, another month of slowing in these indicators has made it call uh, something for more meaningful peak in activity. And we've seen that across all the subsectors, so business surveys, consumer and labour indicators, industrial orders, trade, commodities. Um, and given that it's happening across the board, uh, the fly now gives uh, actually the, the most negative signal um, for risk assets uh, that it has in, in a year or so. Okay, so it's only an indicator, but you know the inputs that there are. Give me your best guess of which way this is going to go, because you can sort of see the lie of the land already. Um, what do you think the next few months have in store for us? We like to look at three key drivers of where we see growth going right now. Uh, monetary conditions, oil and Chinese growth. Taking all three in turn, so monetary conditions Clearly, with the Fed starting to unwind its balance sheet, increased budget deficits in the US, tentatively stronger US dollar, it's becoming tougher. Um, and that limits the, the potential for bounce back. Uh, oil has shot up from $40 to $80 in quite a short period of time. And while we expect lags um, for that to really have a negative impact on growth, it will become an increasing tax and a, and a meaningful one. So that's that, something in terms of a leading indicator, we know that that will have an effect in six months, eight months time. Sure. Um, and then China, so far uh, Chinese growth was, it was one of our key risks for this year, but it's holding up better than expected. But it is, certainly in terms of industrial sector, which is so important for the rest of the world, it is slowing and it's set to keep slowing. So all three of these indicators limit the extent to to which we'd expect a bounce back. There's no real reason from those three main drivers to expect a uh, an improvement. Um, what about the opposite? Um, do, you, do you see any of these beginning to turn the screws on the global economy so that we see it um, begin to, to drop off? So far, given the strong rates of growth that we finished 2017 at, it doesn't feel like they've yet worsened to an extent that you'd expect a real slowdown, say, below trend in global growth. So as long as things stay where they are and these key drivers don't worsen, we should in time stabilise at still decent rates of global growth. Ian Sampson speaking a little earlier next to the vending machines, the perfect environment for macroeconomic musings we've discovered. Now, I suppose what he's describing is that the data has caught up with the pessimism which some of the group have been expressing for a while. Um, I felt that this month's discussion was particularly engaging. People were physically leaning into the um, conversation. Um, Charlotte, Ian mentioned oil, which has shot up and might yet be heading towards $100 a barrel. Now, whether it reaches that or not, uh, there are inflation implications, aren't there? There are. Um, so the sort of the lagged effect, if you like, of, uh, of higher oil prices is going to continue to put upward pressure on headline inflation, but not necessarily on core inflation, or at least not for some time. 
so the, the real question is, do central banks overlook uh, the headline inflation move, which, which I think possibly they do, and also where oil goes next? OK, we'll come to the central banks in a minute. But um, you're recently back from a trip to China. Did that change your views on one of the other key uh, factors that, um, that we're looking at in terms of global growth? Yeah, I think um, the the trip to China firstly sort of reinforced our view that the the credit tightening that has taken place in in China, or at least that negative credit impulse, uh, is going to weigh on growth. Um, But what it really did was heightened, certainly, my sensitivity to the trade tensions between the US uh, and China. And I think this is something that's really going to rumble on for quite some time. Okay, well, Matt, um, are you retreating to to safety? Yes, uh, I think just clipping down to to, to neutral I think the reason I'm not yet um, bearish or looking to go underweight um, is the point that Ian made about growth is going from above trend to towards trend we're not talking about recessions here we're talking about just coming back to what would be um, a long-term growth rate and so from that perspective it's all about where we go from there and where the momentum goes from there um so it's it's a couple of months now and then see where we go see where we go okay and um james uh, perhaps you're the um the least um uh, bullish at the moment your your motto until now has been braver for longer um are you, you seem to be less steadfast uh, you're, you're probably suggesting I'm less brave than I was, Richard, and 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 you know maybe I am, but I think the, the way I'd characterise it is, um, you know, there are times to 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 go on the offensive and times to retreat in any battle, and and you know winning in the markets is a battle, and and this is a time to have a a a pause for breath, a little bit of a retreat. We might well. Um, push back forward um, and and go overweight, we might not. And I think that really says, don't be overweight when you're not sure about the data and when you think um, the market is in for at best a period of consolidation. Is fear on the rise then? Well, clearly, the the start of the year was, you know, by, by the end of January onwards, has been characterised by fear in the market because of the the the, the, the rise in volatility. Um, and I think the almost unshakable upward trend in equities that we had seen has clearly has clearly um, stopped. Um, it might well resume. I mean, the fact of the matter is valuations are more attractive than they were post post the correction. Um, but but at the same time, I think market participants are probably more focused on when does this bull market end rather than that sort of slightly naive, oh, it will go on almost forever. Um, so that is a shift, that is a re-rating um, and a change in behaviours. That, that, that means, at best, I think, a period of consolidation. So... James, you're sort of waiting and seeing um, your selling in May and going away. We'll ask you where you're going on holiday next, I suppose. <laughs> but um, uh, Charlotte, um, are you inclined to buy on the dips if he's uh, if he's selling? I think uh, a few things to be resolved to talk about fear. Um, we haven't yet seen a sort of, uh, or certainly not in the last few weeks, a real sort of panic selling. And what's been interesting about the the, the slight risk off tone has been that um, government bond yields have continued to rise, which is not normally what you'd expect in a kind of risk off environment. So at some point this has to give them. My my sense is that actually this will be about buying bonds and, and adding duration to the portfolio and not necessarily buying equities on a dip. OK, Matt, and what, what about you? You are buying um, duration. Yes, I, I think um, in the the two risks are either on the growth side and the inflation side, and I'm more worried about the growth side than the inflation side. And given that, um, government bonds are a better protection for portfolios. So I'd be 
buying duration um, and then staying neutral on equities. And then um, if there was a correction and we were where we were in terms of um, economic data, I would probably be looking to buy. But if the economic data continues to, to uh, disappoint materially, um, then I, I probably would, would hold off at this point. It's difficult for policymakers at the moment as well. How should they respond? Because uh, in monetary policy, the, the Fed is on a rate-raising trajectory and some rather murky market clouds, perhaps. Uh, the Bank of England, of course, has held for now and the ECB is expected to continue stimulus at least until after the summer. Um, James, if the Fed were to edge back, um, you'd be pretty worried. I would. And I think, I think you know, it, it, it's that very difficult thing when you look at central banks that on the one hand, you know that, that excess raising of rates is, is chokes off growth and therefore is a negative. But on the other hand, once the market has an expectation of a, of a set of rate rises coming, if the Fed eases off, what it's actually saying is the data is worse and therefore they are worried. Um, and, and I think, therefore, there is a real risk that the Fed has talked up rate rises because it's talked up rate rises. Any disappointment in terms of the slowing of the pace of rate rises makes the market say, maybe we are closer to a recession than we thought. And, and they really start worrying about growth. This is the problem of guidance, isn't it, uh, Matt, that they, it's meant to help markets, but perhaps it doesn't. Yeah, indeed. And, and I, I don't see the Fed really changing course um, if, trend is, if growth is still near trend. Um, I, I think you would have to see actual hard data go below trend for the for the Fed to now um, come off course. And I think that's because they've got more confidence in the the economy in general. I think the the left tail, the the downside risk, um, is is less, and therefore they would really need to see that type of correction to change course. And Charlotte, um, do you agree with James that um, markets are that sensitive to uh, a potential slowing of the the pace of uh, of hikes? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the Fed certainly have optionality around this fourth rate hike. I don't think they have to do it by any means. And bear in mind that they've got quantitative tightening going on in the background, which is a, a tightening in financial conditions. So um, it's entirely possible they drop the fourth one. But at the moment, we're not at a point in which they're really ready to to um, to explicitly say that. Uh, in terms of the market response to uh, them not making that fourth hike, you know, I think as long as things aren't dreadful, that markets take that quite well, really, because it tells you that uh, that policy tightening isn't isn't going to be as strong as you um, had expected. And um, talking of things not being that dreadful, we, we have had a bit of a shock in um, recent days from Italy um, with the election there and um, the rhetoric that, that, that follows. Matt, um, how is that uh, affecting you and how you're thinking about um, fixed income within Europe? Well, I think the, the government has um, interesting plans on the fiscal side. Um, and you if sound we, like a civil servant. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting plans. And I think if you think back to um, pre-QE, um, a lot of um, hedge funds and other market participants were speculating um, in BTPs. And essentially what Draghi did with, um, with QE was to say, look, guys, just don't bother. He said, I've got bigger guns, just don't bother. And so people haven't been shorting BTPs in, in large amounts to play the kind of European story for a number of years. And now we've got, at the end of this year, in likelihood, the end of QE and the Italian uh, political situation going on. So um, for me, there could be some interesting things happening in Italian markets. Charlotte? Um, I think also what's really interesting about this is that um, 
you might think that the ECB would uh, hold hold fire and sort of keep protecting Italian yields, but actually I think the opposite might happen because the ECB want to say no, that's that's not how you behave, and uh, we don't want to see uh, that sort of fiscal position. So uh, I, I actually think in some some ways it solidifies the ECB's move to to tapering. Interesting. Okay, well, we're out of time, almost, uh, but not before we play the game of hot cakes, what do you like, and hot potatoes, what would you drop? James, your hot cake. So my hot cake um, this time is cash, rather controversially. And, you know, on the one hand, it's got a negative return after inflation. Um, On the other hand, it's a safe haven when you want to pause for breath. So I think cash is the place to be, or maybe... Um, within that cash plus or, or you know, long short equity or something that's just uncorrelated to um, any form of market beta. And your hot potato? My hot potato is, is, is US technology. And I have a feeling I'll be arguing this for some time before it comes true. But, but A stopped clock is right twice a day. Indeed it is. Um, so one day I'll, I'll, I'll be right on this, even if, even if I'm old and grey by then. But, but the, the rate of um, sort of increase in US tech at the moment in there is, 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 is part fair and part froth. Um, at some point, that, that, that froth is going to spill over into a, a correction. Jolly good. Um, Charlotte, your hot cake, what do you like? Well, although I'm quite cautious uh, on emerging markets generally, within the emerging markets, I think India is quite a nice country to own on a relative basis. Um, so, Why is that? Um, it generally is a bit uh, lower beta, so it's a, a bit more defensive. Um, and I'm thinking specifically versus EM Asia here, um, it tends to be less um, synced into the the tech cycle, which I think we might be seeing signs is rolling over, although it's still quite early days. Uh, And lastly, the market has got very pessimistic about Modi and his uh, ability to to win um, elections in the future. And I, I think that's overdone. Okay, so defensive uh, move and uh, underrated perhaps elsewhere. Um, Your hot potato? My hot potato is Italy, so in equity space, and I'd probably pair that against a long in Spain. Uh, so for all the things we've talked about, I mean, growth is, is rolling over anyway in Europe and, and Italy has is, is definitely got structural problems uh, and a new government which uh, is not going to be helping. OK, and uh, Matt, your hotcakes? Well, I've got an interesting recipe. I've got duration with a little sprinkling of energy equities over the top, you know, just to make it quite interesting. Because quite the baker. The, yeah, exactly. So the duration for the for um, because I think growth's rolling over and they've just gone too far, um, and they're good for put, protecting portfolios. But my my little hedge is that if you have a bit of sprinkling of energy equities, if that got out of control, uh, it'll it'll save you. I'm bacon. assuming this uh, this hedge is some icing around the um, the side. What about um uh, what about your hot potatoes? Uh, my hot potato is um, BTPs. Um, the way I, I think about these is almost like an option. You know, the, if you were underweight BTPs, the cost is the carry um, that you'd be paying, and the carry compared to um, where those yields could go in a year's time um, still looks attractive, even though they started moving. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. We are now out of time. I hope that's given you listening an insight into the thinking behind this month's asset allocation. If you'd like more detail, it's published in full on our website. And if you'd like to discuss anything we've covered, just ask your Fidelity contact. So thanks very much to my guests, Charlotte, Matthew, Ian and James. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next month. But for now, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for information purposes only and is intended only for the person or entity to which it is sent. 
it must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website or the Fidelity SoundCloud or iTunes apps.